I think we're on. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Metal Hammer Podcast, episode 132. Testing out on a slightly different platform today from our usual recording uh, situation. Uh, so if it sounds slightly different or whatever, I don't know if it will until we listen back to it. So we'll find out, I guess. Um, but basically, I accidentally KO'd my work laptop last week, so it's been very stressful and everything's gone terrible. But we're back on the air, lads. Uh, I'm here <laughs> with Melhammer Reviews editor Jonathan Seltzer. How are you doing, Jonathan? Uh, apart from coming to the end of a stinking cold, I'm all right. Can you probably hear me a little bit nasally? But um, I will plough through. <laughs> good good to hear. oh i'm mel by the way i can't remember if i said that uh, i'm also joined by metal hammer contributor legend stephen hill how you doing steve i'm right Matt. i was hoping you're gonna go it might sound a little bit different how you doing l and then i was gonna chime in and, uh, uh, that would have been a funny i think that would have been a fun thing that people could have enjoyed at the start. Have written that down really quickly and held it up so i could have ad-libbed but yeah should have done but, hey you know it's just what happens in these mad times it is these are indeed as people keep telling us crazy times anyway look i'm excited i'm excited who cares about technology woes i'm excited because we've got a brand new issue of metal hammer that is out right now we are recording this on thursday it is out in shops as i speak uh shops across the uk and also available online to pick up from tinyurl.com slash get hammer slightly different uh, address than usual because we've changed our magazine platform that you order our mags from so tinyurl.com get hammer to get the new issue and all our other issues we have the one and only Corey taylor on the front cover this week featuring a banging piece of artwork by tom newell who's done a couple of things with uh, slipknot and ramstein for us before looks absolutely splendid great feature by danny levers with Corey about his quite frankly bananas last few years and how he's managed to come to some kind of happy medium, which isn't really a situation you uh, often associate with Corey, but it's a really, really great interview. You should definitely pick it up. Uh, also, on a uh, you know more somber note, uh, this new issue also features our tribute to Power Trips' Riley Gale. Um, it was something I wrote actually, so I hope it kind of uh, you know did, did the guy a bit of justice. Um, and obviously, a lot of our subscribers will already know that this month's subscriber cover is dedicated to Riley. Uh, so uh, I know a lot of you have been talking about that and celebrating Riley's career with us, which is awesome. Uh, there's loads of other stuff in the new issue as well. We've got a big piece on Black Sabbath's Paranoid turning thir 30. I wish it turned 50. <laughs> um, uh, obviously, the album that made them absolutely fucking massive and one of the most important heavy bands in history. Uh, we've also got a great piece with Deftones that L wrote. Um, uh, looking into why they decided to return to the place where they last recorded music with the much-missed Chi Cheng. So that's a really interesting and emotional interview with the Deftones guys. And we've got stuff with Iron Maiden in there. We've got Jonathan's review of the new Marilyn Manson album in there. We've also got Jonathan's excellent feature with Enslaved in there. Uh, we've got a piece on Svalbard in there. We've got Bloodywood in there. Alison Chains, Ginger, all the good stuff. Only in Metal Hammer this month, and it is out right now. So if you like the sounds of all that, go and pick it up, please. I think that's about sums up, doesn't it, boys? Happy days. I, I think, think so. so. Yeah. Hey, thanks. Um, uh, yeah, it does. I've not seen it yet, so I'm looking forward to seeing it. Didn't mention any of my stuff in there, but whatever. Not a problem. Well, what have you got in there? What have you got? Let me have a look. Can't remember, to be honest. Yeah, I'm not sure you do have a lot of stuff on this issue, Steve, so you might stitch yourself up there. Yeah. Um, Probably. Yeah, I'm just looking through now. It looks awesome. We got yeah, big people versus 
uh, Tatiana from uh, Ginger. Uh, that's quite interesting. We've got Slaylist. Uh, and then we've got Life Lessons with Mr. Adrian Smith from Iron Maiden, one of the greatest metal guitarists ever. Uh, some of your faves, Steve, Palm Reader in the studio with them, written by Richard. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, all the good stuff. Can't see a lot of Steve in here, though, so you'll probably have to go to the reviews to see what stuff Steve's been enjoying this month, basically. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, it is very good, and it is out now. So go and pick it up. That's the last part, I promise. On brand, Steve, review the Deftone Deftones album for this issue. Sorry, say that again. You've gone a bit bleepy, Jonathan. Steve did review the Deftones album for this issue. Oh, there you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did. There you go. Yeah, well, worth it just for that, isn't it? Really, just the Deftones album. You don't have to buy this. Don't worry, I'm not upset. Like it's still good. Yeah. Spoiler alert: He quite liked it. Yeah, I for one was shocked. Uh, but yeah, go read all that. Go do it right now. It's really good. We promise. Uh, metal news this week. There's quite a lot going on now. Feels like there's more and more stuff happening all the time, which is great. Uh, Corey Taylor is doing one of them live stream things that we've heard about. Uh, he's going to be performing songs from Slipknot, Stone Sour, and his quite frankly bonkers debut solo album, CMFT. A special gig live stream from the Forum in Los Angeles on October 2nd, legendary venue that is. Uh, tickets for the event titled Forum or Against Them. We. Uh, available now from Corey's website. Uh, a very limited number of one-on-one -on -one video chats with Corey Taylor are also available with some ticket bundles. So you can get an actual video chat with the man himself, Corey Taylor, uh, and a ticket to his, what I imagine will be pretty spectacular live stream show on October 2nd. Good for him. What do you make of this? Uh, these Ramstein rumours, Steve? Um, well, I'm pretty surprised. I mean, if, they, if the rumours that they're going back into the studio are correct i mean they're not a band who are prolific in making records are they so and what was it last year was the the ramstein self-titled ramstein album so i just assumed i think like most people that we were looking at the next decade probably before we got another ramstein album they're a, they're one of those bands who much like tool are very enigmatic and only put out um material on their own on their own terms um, but for them to go going straight back in the studio, I guess since they're not touring, they've got plenty of stuff to be. They've got to do something, haven't they? So it's cool. Like fucking, I love. I mean, new Ramstein. Who doesn't want that? Yeah, I mean, it would be it would be a massive surprise if they are working on something. Um, Drummer Christoph did recently say that the band had been working on new material, but you kind of take that with a pinch of salt, don't you? Because bands are always kind of writing bits and bobs here and there. It doesn't mean they're necessarily producing anything but yeah old ramstein world the ramstein fan sites said they're all uh they're all been spotted in the uh in the french town of saint remy de provence which uh is where they have previously recorded uh it was actually where they recorded the, the album from last year so unless they just fancy some little holiday trip down memory lane it's probably quite a good reason that they're there i reckon so yeah there's only six of them as well so they're allowed to sort of hang out together aren't they yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, that's, that's. I mean, in England, yeah. I don't know what the rules are in France. <laughs> but the, um, but the, fact, the fact that it's not in Germany, in the, in the native Germany, that's in France, means they're probably not going to be in the studio for like the next ten years and do a um, Guns and Roses. Very true. Good point. You know, they need to get in and get it done. I imagine. Um, 
We'll see. The thing is, in a weird way, it would be quite Randstein-esque for them to do something that unpredictable and just go, oh, yeah, here's a new EP, whatever. Well, the thing is, is that that is the one thing, I suppose, about this whole year and all the, with the shit that's happened this year. It has meant that we've got, like, a few people have just gone, well, fuck it, I'm going to release a record then. Like, I'm not just going to sit around who are meant to be touring. I mean, probably that Taylor Swift album, I know not very on brand particularly, but that Taylor Swift album that came out a few months ago was due to her just being sat around going, well, I can't tour, and I, all my plans have been waylaid, so let's just do an album. And if you get a load of bands who think, well, we should do something this year, really all they can do is write, record, and release new music. So, mm. um, yeah, I, like, I mean, if we get a new Ramstein album out of it, I was about to say, maybe it would all have been worth it. That's definitely not true. It wouldn't have all been worth it. But it will be like, you know, a, a silver lining to still a massive cloud, I suppose. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, in more new stuff happening that we should be excited about, Hatebreed will release their eighth studio album, Weight of the False Self, on November 2nd through Nuclear Blast. Uh, you can hear the album's title track right now. It is very Hatebreedy. We all have a bit of Hatebreed, don't we? Can't go wrong yeah. there. I love Hatebreed. So good live as well, too. I love the fact that when they play live, they don't have set lists. They just go, Jamie just goes, right, he'll play this track, and everyone knows how to play it straight away. Like they just make they make all their set lists up on the spot. I saw them last time I saw them was at um, weirdly at um, Inferno in Norway in front of loads of black metal fans. They all loved it. Awesome. Yeah, I bet. I mean, how yeah, can you they just cross all boundaries because they're, they're, they're so genuine. Mm. I mean, I'm pretty interested to see what sort of direction they're going to take on the new album. I'm wondering what sort of uh, new influences that they've been bringing into their their sound. I wonder what it's going to sound like. Any ideas? I predict. Uh, Thuggish, brutal metal, metallic hardcore riffs over banging breakdowns and Jamie Jaster going over it a lot um, because he's one of the best frontmen in metal and that's all I need. Do We we don't need more from Hatebreed, do we? Well, like, maybe, maybe this is their country-influenced COVID album, lockdown album. Maybe he's, he's, he's been a lot of time in lockdown, you know, um, being introspective and they'll surprise us. And the song's just a um, red flag. I reckon uh, after the spat he had with churches, I reckon he's going to go, actually, no, that, I reckon he went and listened to him. He's going to make an electro pop album. Do you yeah, know the churches? Yeah, wow. yeah, he had a little spat with him last year, didn't he? Oh, I don't know what side to take. I, I love churches. I think we, uh, we talked about it on the podcast, and I think we just kind of came to a, a mutual thing of churches are good, metal's good, yeah. it's all fine. I think it was something to do with, Churches getting billed above them on a festival or above another metal band, wasn't it? Deftones. They were supporting Deftones and Gojira were below. So it was Deftones, Churches, Gojira. And he was like, oh, Gojira, what? I've never, what? you're going to get blown off stage following Gojira, which he's got a point. But yeah, most people do, to be fair. But yeah, I mean, yeah, you don't have to take a side. They're both really good. Yeah. It does seem I to be Gojira. Like churches. Not to, uh, I love churches, isn't they great? Um, uh, not to kind of dig up what is now an old issue, but it does seem to be Gajira more than any other band that really provokes this thing of like, they need to be higher up festivals, they're bigger. Like, I don't know if it's maybe they're bigger than we think they are, or they're not as big as other people think they are. But mm. they do seem to be the one band that everyone always kicks off. Like, what you know, the same with the download lineup, people are going, why aren't Gajira headlining? Like, they've obviously got uh, a very significant and 
particularly vocal fan base when it comes to this kind of stuff. And it makes me very interested to see what they could do on this next album because it is a big album for them, no doubt about it. But if you've seen the recent tours and you've seen the production values of those tours, they're a totally headline, they're a totally festival headline band. And um, yeah. maybe, maybe you know, festivals can be can sometimes be a bit conservative, and um, maybe Gajou are just being underestimated. And I would, I would err towards that side of things. But also, you've got to think ultimately they are a death metal band. I mean, a festival like Download that's getting headlined by Kiss and Aerosmith, and you're expecting a death, a, a fucking French death metal band to headline it, as great as they are, and like nobody would love to see Gojira headline that festival more than me. But I, I mean, personally, I can't see it because at the end of the day, they are still basically an extreme metal band, um, and they're very, very challenging. I think to your general kind of common or garden rock fan. That's a big ask to go, mm. or go and listen to like. I don't know about Bloodstock and Download. Plus, we also you need to start preparing the ground for the next wave of headliners. And I, I mean, apart them and Ghost, I can't really, you know, I can't really see anyone else who has that and the credibility to be a festival headliner. So you're going to have to start um, taking a punt and taking a risk. And I, I think sometimes UK festivals can be a little bit risk averse mm -hmm. compared yeah. to continental festivals. I think that's probably fair. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I think Gajira just, I'm sure in some ways maybe they're not, but I feel like Gajira, uh, you know, I wouldn't put them on the same level as Ghost. Instead of, in, in terms, like, I do feel like with the right lineup on that next album cycle, Ghost could headline download. Like if you had a big band on the Saturday or something, like a Metallica-sized band on the Saturday, and you had like a really good, whether it's a, like, I mean, Metallica do have a lot of classic rock bands, but you know what I mean? Another kind of solid big name on the Sunday as well. I do think you could stick go straight on that Friday headline. I do think they're going to be at that point next year. You know, they've just done an arena tour. Like, they're there, really. They're as there as they're going to be. Whereas Gajira still, you know, don't quite sell that many tickets. And uh, LIC, so they are heavy and challenging. I know we've gone on a weird tangent from Haybury, but um, there, there will be new Gajira music next year. So I think uh if they're gonna be able to make those moves and you know fucking hell it, it certainly wouldn't be the weirdest thing that has happened um there are definitely gajira songs out there which you could probably play someone that would be less offensive to their ears than some of slipknot's heavier stuff do you know what i mean so i think you know we'll just see we'll see what happens on this next album anyway mm. all we want is new gajira yeah i fucking it'd be amazing if they did headline amazing i mean that would be yeah, that would be great. But I, I mean, I, you're right. I can see it more. I think Ghost are shooing, surely. Whereas Gajira, it's up in the air still. They sold out Brixton Academy and they're, they're yeah. definitely in the pot. But I think like Ghost has to be Ghost. Has to be. I feel like it's like every generation of metal has like, you know, Hatebreed fit into this a little bit. There's, there's kind of like a people's metal band, like a kind of a band that the people of the metal world take to their hearts. And there are bands and there are guys. And like... Metallica was one. Pantera would definitely one. Um, Lamb of God would probably one. Even Five Finger Death Punch would one. Do you know what I mean? They're not like the coolest band. They're not the most maybe celebrated by the media, but they're the band where your average metalhead that just likes metal fucking goes, yep, them. And I think Azura are in that bracket. So they've definitely got the goodwill for that. But um, we'll see what happens anyway. So that was our download future roundup. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but let's go on to more pressing and immediate matters. 
Uh, now, I have to confess, in uh, a rare cock-up, uh, I've not been able to actually listen to this week's album of the week because I haven't had my uh, proper laptop with me. And so I haven't been able to hook up the shonky little one that I was using instead to a good stream where I could blast it properly through headphones and blah, blah, blah. But luckily, I have with me two of the most foremost experts on this next band in our field who will have plenty to say about it because we're going to do the new Napalm Death album, Throws of Joy in the Jaws of Defeatism, one of the most important, influential, vital uh, British extreme metal bands of all time. Um, Jonathan, before we get stuck into this album, do you want to kind of briefly talk about where Napalm Death are kind of at? Are they just kind of at the point now where they're just a respected band, putting out new albums every so often, and that's good well, enough for what? Yes and no. Only in the sense that that's what, you know, if that's what kind of maybe people think they're about but they're still challenging themselves and you with every album um i think when people they just respect band, they're thinking of like the first few albums that they just they they're always going to do the same thing but you know then they went off and did those two uh albums that weren't kind of very much in the typical napalm vein they came back with um enemy of the music business which was kind of quite avant-garde but kind of also back to the you know what you could call the classic sound but that classic sound ever since has been mixed in with some with a lot more kind of experimental stuff so in the same way that you were saying like early on oh what we're going to expect the new hate breed album you might think that about napalm death and you'll always actually get the unexpected and i think this one particularly is the most diverse one of the most experimental and one of the most awesome brilliant records they've done since enemy of the music business and they've done a lot of great records since then um so to answer that question yeah um they sh they should be respected more for um uh yeah for being kind of a lot more experimental than they are but when they experiment it's still very napalm death like so like they incorporate lots of old influences like um you can hear swans but they're not trying to sound like swans they just it gets incorporated into what napalm do so it becomes this weird sort of hybrid that's still napalm death that um that's still pushing pushing boundaries and it's the thing with um bands that were pioneers whether in grind whether it was uh them or carcass or in thrash when it's the early thrash bands you know the bands that parent that pioneered those that pioneered those genres or subgenres they're not beholden to that one sound so like testament don't sound like classic thrash band now metallica don't sound like a classic thrash band now whereas if you're like um municipal waste and you're trying to be a thrash band now you're always going to sound like one period of thrash or if you're a grindcore band now you're always going to sound like one period of grindcore but it but the bands that started it they have the license to keep pushing the form and expanding it and this is exactly what they do steve <laughs> Um, well, I, no, I, I completely agree with everything Jonathan's just said. Um, I think, and I really, really do mean this, I think if you put a list together of the 10 best, most influential, most important bands in the history of British music, I'm not even convinced Napalm Death are a metal band, to be perfectly honest. Um, I, I mean, I'm talking Beatles, Radiohead, Black Sabbath, the very, very, very biggest, most important bands, Pink Floyd, I think Napalm Death, for me, would walk into that top 10. I think they are an absolutely phenomenal, incredible band. Um, 
I feel like I was fairly lucky to get into to sort of discover Napalm Death when I did because I mean I actually heard Breathe to Breathe on the cover mount CD. Love of, that song. Yeah. So groovy. Absolute banger. And so, you know, Inside the Torn Apart was, I think, as you mentioned, Jonathan, when they were going more post the kind of the grindcore years and when yeah. the life changed and then they took on this sort of death metal form and then they even kind of evolved that and it became a bit more groovy they were touring with machine head um i think they're in between machine head and cold chamber on one tour uh one year so you know they're not afraid to to mix it up and um and yeah to come back with enemy of the music business which was like you say a kind of a, a return to i guess the the quote-unquote classic napalm sound but with all of those other influences you mentioned. I mean, the, the amazing thing about Napalm Death is actually they're, they're still being influenced by the same 10 bands, Motorhead, Discharge, Celtic Frost. You mentioned Swans, Killing Joke, yeah, Sonic, Sonic Youth. Like, they don't really have that many influences outside of a pool of just maybe eight or nine massively influential, incredibly forward-thinking transitory bands but it's how they they kind of evolve what they do with those different influences on every album which i think is why napalm death you get 16 albums down the line and i'm you know this album's amazing it, it it's absolutely amazing and you sit there and you sort of think like oh my god i can't believe 16 albums in i'm still hearing new things from this band but, you know, after 12 albums, I was saying that. After 13 albums, I was saying that. After 14 albums, 15. I've been saying, I, you know, it shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone at this point that Napalm Death are continually pushing themselves. And like Jonathan says, still sounding like Napalm Death. I mean, there's there's bits on this album. I mean, I mean, I guess the main one that people would talk about would be Immoral, um, which was one of the singles, which really, really sounds like Killing Joke. Totally. Napalm Death have definitely done that sort of post-punk, you know, Joy Division meets Celtic Frost meets Discharge thing before. But I don't think they've ever done it to the point where, like, Immoral, in a, in a, in a different world, that could, that could be a single. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's catchy. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're an absolutely incredible band. And there's so much stuff on this record where you just go, it's so brimming with new ideas, but yet, like you say, it still sounds exactly. There's no doubt as to who this band are. Yeah, when you hear it, but yeah. I've still never heard stuff like. I mean, the closing track, which is um, a belly full of a belly full of salt and spleen. Again, they released that, and it's not the sort of thing you would expect. Amoral, really you know, that kind of doomy, almost sort of grungy, yeah, gothy core. It's not what people like. You say when people think of Napalm Death, they go, Ah, scum. Yeah, our scum. It's a, they're that wild, crazy, you know, ten-second-long songs bleh, band. I mm. mean, at this point, that is just—it's totally inaccurate as to what Napalm Death are, and this record is total is, is yeah. complete proof of that. Yeah, I, I think I think like it's easy to mistake them because because uh, those early songs were so compact. That, um, but also, what you have to understand is that the kind of the scene. And the time, not that they just came out of, but what they grew up in. So, you know, Birmingham in the in that kind of mid late eighties was a hothead of like really sort of interesting industrial music, like um, Godflesh. You know, obviously um, Justin Bordrick was was which was one of the singers for Napalm and went on to form Godflesh. Um, and so there, there's a lot of um, that kind of eighties industrial kind of forming its way into it. So, like on the new one, 
um, like Joie de Paris, uh, it really sounds like something off the first Young Gods album, which mm. is kind of like came out in 88, uh, but you know, Swiss band. But it's got that really weird, woozy, and it's like Young Gods were again another band so um, original that they were almost like impossible to um, to kind of rip off and do it well. But somehow they've got the spirit of that. But you've also got like there's 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 thrashy songs in there, like um, Contagion and 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 Flutzing of the Muscle, and then. Also, like what you said about Napalm being so influential, there's one particular kind of groove. It's like, it's like all these grooves are like suddenly like bumping it, like a trains are suddenly stopped and all the carriages are bumping into each other. And you can hear it and you can hear that one particular groove. And it's like in every kind of grindcore band since. And it's, it's in there, but it's not as much as you'd think. And when they do use it, like say it's in there in like Zero Gravitas Chamber, it, it I think it's a Russ Russell producer, he always produces. Yeah, yeah yeah so but now it's it's kind of it's got a really spacious production and it's not the grimy dirty production that they used to have and especially so weirdly napalm death sound really good on good headphones yeah, they, would, yeah so it's just but but yeah the spaciousness of of, of um russell russ russell's production just gives it kind of a room to breathe and it just yeah it just adds another dimension to it and what i'd love to hear but i didn't get it on the promo is they've got two covers on the um bonus tracks which mm. also tell you about a lot about where they're coming from so they've got a sonic youth cover white cross with a k and a, and a rudimentary peni cover and that says a lot about where they're coming from too you know there's always like you know and it's so interesting like kind of punk bands but sonic youth were really um innovative and angular and and took completely rewrote what you can do with music um and yeah so just interesting that you know all a lot of their um influences are kind of from the left field avant-garde side of things well I, yeah. I interviewed barney uh, well, i've interviewed him a few times and every time he says they think of napalm more as a kind of art project rather yeah. than they are thought of as this kind of ever-evolving um, thing that just take like like you say all of all of the bands that Napalm would mention as um, influences they don't you know it, 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 apart from Motorhead maybe um, it's not like any of them ever stayed in the same place at one time they all kind of progressed massively and I, I think I mean again one of the things to kind of touch on the extremity of Napalm Death like this album is like fantastically heavy like it is i mean as you would expect from a napalm death album like i mean the first two tracks fuck the factoid and backlash just because are kind of classically sounding brutal napalm death songs and they're amazing but they've got this thing about them where i think you know one of the real skills in extreme metal is to give people hooks you know like there are a few all, all of my favorite bands within kind of extreme music they can be as loud and angular and abrasive and heavy as as anything. But if you can somehow find some sort of little hook for people to grab onto, then that to me makes a world of difference. You look at, you know, a band like like Norsem, who obviously would have been massively, massively influenced by Napalm Death. And they just play, you know, 45 second long groovy grindcore songs and their their riffs are so catchy and i think you listen to this and the idea that napalm death are just this kind of warp speed impossible to latch onto 
wall of sound even within those first two songs which are you know which are definitely that they're so catchy barney's vocals are barney is not just that sort of cookie monster like formless cookie monster death metal vocalist you can hear the words that he says i mean someone tweeted me about napalm i was wanging on twitter about how great napalm death were the other day and someone went oh, i think barney just reads his um his shopping list out and, and sort of barks over that and it's like well one he's got so much to say and he says it in such an intelligent, articulate, thoughtful way. He's such a you know brilliant, brilliant mind um, that he's not going to let his lyrics just be nonsense for a start. And secondly, I think you can understand every syllable that comes out of his mouth. I think you can genuinely hear what Barney's saying. And I think, again, that is really rare in extreme metal to actually do that and still be, I mean, this is a, this is a cutting edge album. There's not many records that are going to come out that are going to be heavier, more extreme, more challenging than this. And they're, you know, they're nearly 40. But also just really carry you along and groovy. But also yeah. I think like the clues about, you know, them, the, you know, that artistic art side of them, were they really early on? Like look at all the bands, like X members went on to do, like Godflesh and also like Total, you know, Zambian Projects and, and Jay-Zu from Justin Broderick. Nick Bullen went on to do um, Scorn, which is this kind of dark ambient sort of project. Lee Dorian went on to do Cathedral and, you know, they went off into kind of weird proggy realm. So it was all, all of that was in their DNA from the very start. It's just that, you know, when it starts off so distilled, you, like something, something that concentrated, it's actually got a lot of stuff distilled into it. It's not just, it's not, people mistake like, you know, something that's that distilled for being simple, but it's not, there's actually a lot of stuff that gets distilled into you suffer. Yeah. <laughs> It's like it's it's like that's like that's like a big bang. It's like there's all this it's all the genetic material in 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 you suffer. Mm. Amazing, I think. Brilliant records. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's, it's going to be in my easily in my top ten, if not higher, this this year of albums of this year. Always, always. Um, if you do want something which is just really fucking heavy, by the way, can we move it on or? Sorry, Mel. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say no. I think that was a that was a I, splendid. Yeah, I just, just want to say that the new video uh, for the what's what's the final track called again, Steve? Oh, um, it is called. Hold on, it's uh, a belly full of salt and spleen. Yeah, watch the video for it. It's by uh, it's done by Khaled Lowe, who used to be the singer from um, uh, Passenger. Passenger, yeah. Um, Anyway, but the new video is amazing, uh, and it's it's kind of a lot about the refugee situation, and it really gives these gives the song another dimension. Cool, uh, awesome, good advice. Uh, yeah, that is the all brand new Napalm Death album, Thrives of Joy and the Jaws of Defeatism, out Friday via Century Media Records. Um, and yeah, I think Steve made a very good point. Me calling them a legendary extreme metal band at the start of the review is probably doing them a bit of a disservice. Because uh, they are so much more than that, um, and yeah, Steve had another. You had another band you wanted to give a shout out. That's got a release out this week, didn't you? Yeah, mate. There's um, this is a band called Fawn Limbs. Uh, the album's okay. called, what is that? How do you spell that? Fawn F A W N and Limbs, spelled Limbs L I M B S. Uh, uh, they're they're from Pennsylvania. Uh, the the new album's called Sleeper Vessels. Uh, it's like 27 minutes long, so it's not a long listen, but you will probably be just drenched in sweat by the end of listening to it. Um, they're a three-piece. I cannot, cannot believe they're a three-piece. Um, they definitely come from that school of, I mean, we're talking about early Napalm, 
um, Meshuggah. I mean, really, like, they're broadly a sort of tech metal thing. Really, really broadly. Um, but, I mean, I, I remember sort of hearing Dillinger on the Calculate Infinity era, Dillinger, Candiria, hearing Meshuggah for the first time. And I think it's fair to say in sort of, you know, 20 years post that stuff happening, that kind of mathy, um, chunky, weird, super noisy, lots of notes and, you know, polyrhythmic thing has sort of got a bit old at this point. That whole tech metal thing, it's kind of lost its um, its edge a little bit. And I did sort of wonder, I wonder, can anyone really kind of match up to those bands from that point? It feels like that was definitely like a, a, a roadblock. Um, this album is unbelievably intense. Um, it is kind of like Pig Destroyer meets Phantomers meets Candiria. Um, there is so, there's so much going on. It's got like Aphex Twin style electronics over the top of these massive like Thy Art Is Murdered deathcore. But it's basically sort of like deathcore, um, some weird electro music, animals as leaders and grindcore all being sort of stuffed into a blender and then just spat out at you as hard and as fast as possible. It's like by a baseball bat and getting stabbed and getting set on fire at the same time as what I described it to my mate the other day. It is really, it really, it's really good. And it's, um, it's actually way heavier than the Napalm Death album. So if you listen to the Napalm Death album, you're like, boo, too many choruses. I can hear what he's saying. Um, this album is, a horrific listen. Horrific. If I like Bowlby and <laughs> I was with you all the way until you mentioned that as murder. Um, you know that kind of just really catchy sub drop like thing that happened that they do. There's a bit of that. I mean, I, I think they'll probably be furious that I mentioned that as murder. If looking at the band, but. This is some beef about Thyatis murder in the metal scene. I'm not aware of. No, I just don't, I, just, I can't stand them myself. Well, they're just like they're just they're just a bit basic, aren't they? Like I love it's them. Just, it's but... just this pure like it's just this pure testosterone thing, or just without any kind of anything anything else to balance it out. Uh, nothing kind of larger. You know, I, I like I love obviously I love like straight, straightforward testosterone music, but I like it's be you know have a bit of an extra dimension to it. This is just like pure sort of macho sort of jock posturing really but that um, right low down sort of thing they've got a, they've got a fair bit of that on it i mean it's not a lot not a lot really like there is a lot of other shit going on and i do think if you just want to get absolutely brutalized then it, it, it's one of those records where you go I know. every other band you mentioned i'm completely sold i'm just going to just try and wipe out the the lightest murder reference in my head Okay, so they're doing something kind of new. Like they they pushed it. Like sort of them and you know when the Imperial Trumpet album came out, and I yeah. thought, fucking hell, I don't know if I can actually listen to this. It's just, it's just, it's just maddening. I got the same kind of vibe from. Um, yeah, but so right. the, so the thing with, with with it's like with Voivod uh, with uh, Imperial Trumpet, you have to imagine the world it takes place in, and once you do that, it all falls into place, and you know, so you, sometimes you just need the greater context. Um, and then just like, oh, now I can see it. If you think about listening to Imperial Trumpet and you think about New York and you've got all this gold and you can hear that kind of gold in some of the 
tone, guitar tones. But the same with Voivod. If you think of this weird sort of apocalyptic world where everything's going a bit sort of out of reality and out of sync, then it totally makes sense. I didn't get those bands, but yes, yeah, so maybe you know, you know, for this band, uh, Foreign Names, you just need to see the bigger picture, and then it will all fall into place. Context is all. Maybe. I just want to listen to some fucking dieters murder and mosh. Is that all right with you? It's all right with me, mate. You do you, man. You do you. <laughs> well, someone has to. Um, <laughs> let's take some reader questions now uh, from Metalhammer. No, not Metalhammer.com. Facebook.com slash Metalhammer readers. Come and join the coolest community in metal. Um, Jack Reed says... Vinyl is outselling CDs for the first time since 1986. Is it sustainable? Do you think we should be doing more to help our bands financially? So this is coming off the news that was reported in a few uh, American um, uh, news organizations that, yeah, vinyl is actually starting to outsell CDs uh, uh, in certain you know, areas and, and all the rest of it. Yeah, um, is it. Is it sustainable? Do we think we should be doing more to help our bands financially i mean i would say that buying vinyl is probably doing a bit more to help out bands financially isn't it that's probably a good sign that yeah that people are doing that um i reckon what do you guys think uh, i wonder if like i mean obviously cds are selling a fraction of what they used to I, I wonder if that says more about cds than it says about vinyl i think yeah vinyl is rising and but cds are kind of going kind of in the opposite direction because why kind of why would you buy you like you don't get the artifact um you get the um you, you can get you can get like pretty good quality streaming you know i still think you should you should always support the artists and whatever your format you should do if you like a band you should own it it gives you that much more connection to the band to have something physical in your hands but that's a you know i think metalheads were very analog um but yeah i think that you know the um but it's a whole kind of lockdown thing we, we've thought a lot about how to um, support our bands? You know, we, we might, you know, Merlin's been buying lo lo loads of t-shirts. I buy t-shirts. You know, whenever I go on a stream, I've been buying um, special stream t-shirts like the Rancy Pazuzu stream they put out. And yeah, we're all sort of like it's kind of bringing it home to us a bit more, like how much more we can support bands. Um, you know, in the absence of live gigs. Mm. So yeah, so I think you know we are and. Um, and like I said, yeah, having something in your hands gives something that much more meaning than just having it on a stream. It, like, cool. you, like you've actually gone actively out to, to get something for it, and it's not passive. Mm. I think, like you know, the 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 sort of pros and cons of streaming culture are fairly obvious, really, aren't they? I mean, yeah, ten ten quid a month for owning or well, not owning, but being able to listen to every single band that I could ever dream of ever having wanted to listen to is brilliant, if a little daunting. Um, but certainly, like, as you know, Merv, as we discussed a bunch of times, I spent quite a lot of money on vinyl and have done over the past couple of years. I did have a period where I didn't really spend any money because, like you say, Jonathan, CDs, I just, I wasn't sort of excited. I, um, it's been a long time since I could get excited about buying a CD because the, I guess formats come and go and when, the, you know, vinyl's cool again now. Vinyl's actually like a cool thing that people um, want to listen to. And certainly like, yeah, uh, the idea of having um, an actual physical thing in your hand, 
I think certainly for people our age, since we can remember when that's all you could have, um, I think it puts a hell of a lot more value. It puts more value on the on the music as well. Like I listen to, there's a lot of albums that I've only that I only listen to when I stream them, and it's like, oh yeah, that's cool, but I don't. They're not in my head, as opposed to going upstairs into my room where I've got all my vinyl and looking through it and going, I I love you know failure or fucking um, Depeche Mode or Metallica or whatever I happen to pick out and going, I I love this band. I genuinely have a strong connection to this band, not just financially, even though I pay for them, but also they feel like one of my bands more. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, yeah, for people that grew up with physical product, definitely. But I think for younger fans as well, it, it gives them a, a kind of new chance to connect with music in a whole, whole new way because i mean the C- cds were fine and they were i mean they were great for what they were at the time but the thing with the vinyl is like if you're playing it through you have to engage with it because obviously you got you have to flip it to the other side every yeah, yeah. and so you, you kind of almost if you want to listen to the album you kind of have no choice but to kind of be engaged with it because you're not it's not as easy to just put it on in the background and leave it um and i think yeah definitely the physicality of it the artwork um just the process of taking a record out of its sleeve and delicately putting onto the thing. The whole experience uh, makes music listening an experience, which you can't really say is the same when you're just pressing play on a, on a stream. Yeah. Mm. I was, I was just about to say exactly the same thing that, you know, it's a bit of a ritual. And I remember like, yeah, when I was buying CD, buying vinyl, you know, before the internet and um, you know, you put the needle on the record and you know, even then you're kind of like f- forming a connection you know, you're completing a circuit when you put the needle down on the record, but that anticipation when you, when you haven't heard any tracks from it beforehand, but you've bought it on what you've read or heard, but that anticipation of the running groove was so exciting. Mm, and it's, it's, uh, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's so much more dimensions to, to what, you know, what you just said, that kind of ritual you have with vinyl definitely. and, you know, you know, put, putting it out, you know, looking at, see what they've got on the inlay, um, reading the lyrics, uh, you know, pouring over the pouring over the artwork on twelve inch on you know as a twelve inch canvas, yeah, it's um, yeah, you can't. There's, there's nothing really else to compare to it. Yeah, it's the best, and and I know you lads have been very good with all that. I was actually at Steve's house the other day, admiring his vinyl collection. It's very nice, and Jonathan's all about that as well. Yeah. Um, let's do more questions. Although, uh, before you move on, I think on. You're saying that although vinyl, if vinyl is out selling CDs, and I have no reason to doubt that it's not, but that is still both of those things put together. I think compared to the amount of people who do just stream music is a drop in the ocean and it ain't going to go away, but it is a shame that it's like, it's so far ahead at this point. And I do think it, you know, it has cheapened the value of art too much. I think I'm all for like streaming music and having Spotify and making playlists and just casually listening to music occasionally with it on in the background while you're doing the dishes or whatever but i do think i do think it's sad that how how much it appears to have cheapened yeah. the value of art at, in 2020 and, and i think i think how proactive you are in how you sort of you get music uh kind of affects like how what you listen to i think as well too mm. that um you know there's I guess that there's a kind of a generation of like of kind of Spotify bands who just who have a bit of this and a bit of everything and jack of all trades, master of none, because they just they don't really have an allegiance to one particular style or a genre or what that or what that or what the um 
ideals were of that particular genre, what it stands for. So you're just kind of always skipping across things. And that's very much a kind of a streaming generation approach to music and to making music, I think, as well, too. That, you know, that, you know, if you spend time with one thing, you start to, you know, the value systems of that particular genre or subgenre start to seep into you and you, re and you, and you interact with it. I think that's really important, too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I know what you mean about the the way people make a lot of artists make music now. It's kind of like playlist mentality rather yeah. than album mentality. Uh, Sam Welch asks, "When yeah, me me and Steve did the uh, In Flames Hall of Fame. We should do another one then. I've done a Hall of Fame in a while. Uh, when you did the In Flames Hall of Fame, you recommended uh, I start. I think Sam asked a question at the time, um, asking which In Flames album is good to start with." And he says, you recommended I start my In Flames journey with Reboot to Remain. Thanks, by the way. Thanks to Spotify playlists. Um, so that's one good thing about streaming. I've also started listening to Soil Work. What other bands would you suggest I try? I mean, if you're into the kind of the upper tier of melodic death metal, um, you want to get on Dark Tranquility for sure. I would highly suggest Damage Done. That's probably my favorite Dark Tranquility album. Although pretty much anything from there late 90s to mid 90s period is particularly brilliant but they're, they're generally stay at high quality dark tranquility obviously at the gates of the daddies slaughter of the soul is an album you must have in your life um and i'm a big big arch enemy fan as well and i would put wages of sin right up there in that band as well any other bands from the melodeth realm haunted, the haunted i was gonna say the haunted that's who i was gonna say yes. but but the thing about In Flames and um, Soul Work, which they can do that no other band can do, is they can kind of get this poppy side. I mean, it, but, but still sound absolutely great. Like, I don't really like some of the later In Flames stuff, but I actually really like Where Roots Remain, which is the one where they kind of went off into poppy realms. Because you can tell they're having so much fun and that there's such a sense of discovery. And I really love Figure Number 5 by Soul Work, where it's just like... Great album. Yeah, they're, they're just, they're, they're just like, Soul Work are like my metal band with a pop, with a kind of a pop awareness of choice. Like, and Figure Number Five really kicked that off. Uh, but every album they've done is great. I love Beyond's, Beyond's uh, Strid's voice. Um, I love well, the kind of that, that really weird rubber drum sound they've got. I think uh, that, that, that Speed's, um, Kind of pop sensibilities have really come out because he obviously went off and did Night Flight Orchestra, which is absolutely love as well. All the cheese, the new <laughs> album Aeronautical is so good. Definitely. Uh, any any more to add to this smorgasbord of Melodeth? Well, um, I mean, you know, considering how influential we said they were to metalcore and what happened in America, I think it's at least worth chucking in. I'm going to chuck in one band, and that band would be Darkest Hour, who I think are the closest band from the US to great. To band that right um Four, perhaps well, they, were kind of a, they were kind of a, a sort of a you know that kind of transition point I, I i always thought shadows four were a little bit average to be honest particularly, yeah. particularly when put up against something like the haunted i think you know god forbid in shadows four and there are a few others for me darkest hour captured the punk fury the most while still whilst being able to write wicked riffs i would say that their first album which normally talks about but is brilliant mark of the judas is probably i would say as close as america ever got to doing a an early in flames album mm -hmm. yeah. their, their last album was fucking great as well darkest yeah, album. Great. there was, was a period where there was like loads of like really average maladeth mm -hmm. and 
there's so little worse than just leave Sonic Syndicate alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's there's nothing more sort of disheartening than people just dutifully going through those classic mellow death riffs without, you know, when you can tell they haven't probably even heard at the gates, you know, that kind of third generation who just hadn't actually heard where it came from. And you could really tell when you heard them. I'm not mentioning any names. No, they've already done it, Sonic Syndicate. (laughs) (laughs) I I think I reviewed the last Sonic Syndicate album for for the mag. That's always one where Jonathan emailed me and go, what do you think of uh, Sonic Syndicate? And I'm like, oh, just send it over, for God's sake. (laughs) I'll do it. I'll do anything, Christ. But yeah, not good. Not good, man. Not good at all. Um, you you ask the next question, Steve. I've just done loads of talking. Okay, mate. Um, how's lockdown been as a music journalist? There's likely been huge worries about the industry's visibility, but at the same time, you haven't right. had to, you haven't had to go to four gigs a week, and you probably spent a lot more time at home. How have you found it? That's asked by Ben Wilmot. God, don't know where to start. Really, that? I mean, as somebody. It's quite funny that you said, well, you haven't had to go to four gigs a week. That's quite funny because it's quite rare that someone uh, would pick up on the idea of going to four gigs a week being a bad thing. (laughs) But, uh, you know, yeah, like the kind of grind of the music industry, like any industry can be hard work sometimes, obviously. Um, And it's obviously got its problems. Um, But I'm fucking hell, I'm missing gigs so bad. (laughs) Missing festivals. Uh, I mean... as a music journalist, I can only speak for Metal Hammer, really. Like, it's been hard at times. Um, you know, we knew that people weren't going to shops, and so we knew that our sales were going to go down quite significantly because literally no one was buying anything at one point. Um, and so that meant that we had to pull our budgets right back, which meant that, you know, we weren't able to commission as many writers. You know, people like Steve weren't getting quite as much work at Metal Hammer at one point because Elle and I were having to literally write, like, everything um but that was that was really hard work but you know we feel we still feel very grateful to still be here and still feel like we're in a place where we're putting our issues we're proud of and we're putting our covers we're proud of and i feel like we've come through the worst of that now and when i say the worst of it again it was hard work and it's been hard for everybody but obviously we have a lot of friends and peers who have worked in the magazine music industry that have had it a lot harder than us in the last couple of months so it's it could have been it could have been worse but yeah it's been a bit of a a bit of a slog and yeah for me personally like you guys will have your thoughts as well it, i've enjoyed a lot of the time at home some of it's been quite hard but i've definitely re-engaged with vinyl in a big way we're just talking about vinyl i've enjoyed my gaming more um i got into basketball which was nice none of that's really to do with music journalism but it's been it's one of the good things about being able to work from home i guess during all this because not everyone's been able to do that have you have you boys found it well i mean i I mean i I work from home anyway so on one level it hasn't changed that much um and so you kind of get used to you know working under lockdown um but then you you kind of forget this whole other dimension that you're missing which is like you know festivals but it's not just the the experience of festivals themselves but um you, you know you know, you know, doing this job in, in is two things. One is a very solitary thing. We, you know, I'm writing, I'm subbing, I'm commissioning, I'm doing emails, and that's a very, you know, it's, it's, even those who all work in a team, that's a very it still can be quite a solitary existence. But you know, like 
like going to festivals and it's not it's not just the festival itself but the people that you see at all the festivals like you know my norwegian festivals like beyond the gates or midgarsblot or inferno you know that's like kind of like my you know and i've got you know obviously in england i've got that as well too but you know that's kind of like my family <coughs> like my friends in there and it and just like so there's a whole dimension of community that it's kind of there but it's a bit more bit more of an abstract and um and it's easy so and you get used to not having it but it's just but it's just like it, it it's a note that's not there in the air and um and you, you kind of realize it and you you're missing something in yourself and you know you know you work really hard and when you go to festivals and you're in the thing and you realize that this is this is the thing that keeps me sane yeah is um having that kind of bigger sense of community and you know the friends where you kind of all share an experience and you all have the same kind of like language about how you perceive things and missing that is is yeah it's just it's it's just like yeah it's just like you've lost kind of some spectrum of your taste buds a little bit mm. i get that what do you think steve uh, yeah i mean i guess for me not being a kind of full-time person uh, at the magazine it's been i mean like i had a I was working a full-time job in London, so my, I mean, my whole circumstances have changed massively from from lockdown because basically I did have a job which was kind of linked to the music industry, um, and that with a load of concerts that we were going to do, everything got cancelled, and suddenly I was like, oh, the company I was working for was folded, and I moved back to my village where I'm where I grew up. So that alone. Is, is weird um i had sort of said this year having just got fatigued from so many years ago to like six or seven festivals a year that i wasn't going to go to a festival this year um i was knackered from doing my own podcast from doing this you know like, i very very rarely would say no to anything either of you would like send over to me like very 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 rarely um and sometimes that got exhausting like super exhausting um so it's been a little bit more i've been a little bit more relaxed because you know like you said mel i've had a little bit less to do and that's fine I, you know i understand why that is um but i am sort of itching to get back to like just doing more stuff i guess like it's been nice you know i'm living in the country now sort of feel like i'm semi-retired um and i would love to like getting getting an email from jonathan on a sort of half past five on a friday going sorry this is uh like really really late notice but can you go to the underworld to review annihilate like, oh man i was gonna go and have a pizza tonight with my girlfriend and i got a text her and go darling i've got to go and review annihilate um and some people might be going oh that's Mate, annihilator if you're lucky <laughs> <laughs> yeah Paul Blacani, or you like oh yeah, yeah oh my god i just want to say this to everyone but steve is just like such a troop i don't know what i do without you <laughs> Love to get one of those emails now. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm Trump and you're like a, a serviceman. Like, like, <laughs> you know, you're just like sucker. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like, I, I would, I would, I would, I've got to the point now. Welcome, um, one of those emails. And it's been cool. Like, it means you know, I was working in the office before with a bunch of people who didn't want to listen to particularly challenging music shall we say so to be able to sort of wake up in the morning and listen to whatever i want to listen to has been really really nice and i think oh, girlfriends. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> her headphones are on all the time um but but mate like 
it's been, I think the other thing that's helped is it's been a really, really good year for music. Just in general, like it has been a really, really good year. Really, really, really fucking good, actually. There's a lot of, if I put together my top 10 albums of any genre this year, they would go toe to toe with a lot of the last few years, to be honest. Like, we'll probably do this on the end of year podcast, wherever you want, Steve. But like, we've talked about the metal that's come out this year over and over again, obviously. But, you know, even with hip hop, like, there's the Run the Jewels record. I've been smashing that uh, Logic record over and over again um uh and uh like in pop music there's been like the duo album the gaga album the Yama album um it's just been on on, on a pop front also agnes obel that new album absolutely amazing that 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 came out the same week as the hillary woods album and it was like the perfect the sort of sad girls week like the definitive uh, I, I absolutely love i was going to go and see it live before the lockdowns happened it's just like uh, uh. And that, yeah, you mentioned in the comments when you put the questions out about am i allowed to include the fiona apple album in my albums of the year for metal hammer and uh i'm probably not going to put it in but i'm just going to say man that fiona apple album is the shit it's unbelievable so yeah it's been a fucking awesome year for music i think Absolutely splendid. It will carry us through. Uh, Alistair Belling says, which solo artist could carry the torch for heavy music over the next decade? I mean, that's... That's, that's a bit weird. I mean, yeah. you don't expect solo artists to be classic, like traditionally heavy in the sort of like heavy sense, you know, in the in the sort of the metal sense. Mm. There are lots of solo artists who are heavy in a different sense. Mm. I mean, I've got, like cheekily, I've kind of noted down Tobias Forge. <laughs> Because obviously he's not a solo artist, but Ghost is completely his baby and his project. And they are one of the great kind of exciting bands for the next decade. And wherever they go, will probably 99% come out of his brain. So that's, I know, you know, they, they're fucking great musicians in that band. And they seem like a very solid unit now, but it's his thing. And he will take that band to where it goes. So I'm kind of calf counting that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just, I mean, We've had loads of like, especially like female solo artists who are like doing some amazing stuff, you know, and it's really emotionally heavy. Like, obviously, A. Williams, Chelsea Wolf, um, they've got an igniter, yeah, Emma Ruth Rundle, um, Anna von Housewolf's got an album, Anna von Housewolf, amazing, but probably the heaviest solo artist there is is Germana Galas. There's nothing more intense or scary than her, and She's just like she. She's just at a place that no one else can reach, and I have never seen such like instinctive reactions of like, "What the fuck!" Like when she's like when she played Roburn, and you you weren't allowed to leave. That they closed the bar while she played, and um, you weren't allowed to leave the main venue during a song. And I swear to God, it's like the first song was like even even by her standards was off the scale. You know, she has like she has ridiculously four and a half, maybe I can't, I, I don't know, humongous octave range, and she's scary as fuck. I, I swear you can see people almost like climbing up the walls after the first song. It kind of, and just like yeah, but where she's coming from is like, I'm a, it's just so intense, and I think yeah, you've, uh, she's, got, she's got a direct line to down below, and she can. I think you mentioned her before, but just because we all, people always ask this, can you just say her name and spell it out slowly as yeah, well? Yeah, so Germanda Galas, so D-I-A-M-A-N-D-A, 
and it's Galas G L A. The second A has an acute accent on it. S. Um, so she has two kind of forms. One is like a kind of like more bluesy form, like you can hear on an album like The Singer. Uh, another one is um, just kind of a lot more avant-garde. She's sung about, um, you know, topics of like, you know, how people have, uh, attitudes people have had towards people with AIDS um, and use a lot, lot, lot of biblical references. She has this kind of totally amazing, acrid, operatic voice that can go like super low to super high. She's an amazing way of play, playing the piano, just just like absolutely rattles the keys. And like, she'll just, if you hear her voice, you'll be frozen to the spot. Mm -hmm. um, like, no, with, with it's a bluesy stuff, which is a bit more e easier to listen to, or like Shree X, which is even me, I've never seen the album in one sitting. But if you want to hear the more avant-garde guard side, listen to, um, Plague Mass, that's her kind of her double album masterwork. Uh, genuinely, the most amazing artist on the planet. And wow. her talent is like another level from what, what you think another level is. It's um, And she just uses it with such absolute direct venom and power. And she's tiny. And it's like, in the same way that when you hear like uh, uh, Anna von Housewall thing, it's like, you can, like, how does that voice come from that? That that body, it's just like it's channel from another dimension, mm. and this and this, she's the kind of the source of it. So you can hear a lot of Dumela Galas in um, Anna von Housewolf. Wow! And yeah, just just lit, genuinely the most one of the most powerful artists on the planet. Um, and that's not even hyperbole. So yeah, certainly in terms of carrying the torch for heavy music, being you know boundary pushing and exciting, that's some banging shouts. Any other thoughts on that, Steve? Or well, I mean. Uh... Since I've said it a lot, I was my immediately my brain went to for something a bit more um, contemporary, I guess, and that I think something that is like legitimately could be where heavy music and what is really really popular in the mainstream now collides. Backwash would be one mm. that I've spoken about a lot. I mean, there's still stuff like Perturbator and Carpenter Brute. Who I think if that scene, I don't know if that scene sort of feels like it might have stalled a little bit because a few years ago that felt like that whole kind of synthwave thing felt like a real big deal. About three really years ago, yeah. I feel like um, it's, yeah, we'll see what happens. Like Perturbator and Carpenter Brute are both kind of releasing or, or yet to release kind of their next albums after that initial boom. So I think that would be very, <clears throat> excuse me, very telling about where that scene can actually go. Yeah, yeah. Funnily enough, uh, Tell Up from Mayhem is just is just about to release uh, his own synthwave project called Burgerton. Good God! Yeah, <laughs> and it's got and it's got and it's got a pink cover as well. Really? It's pretty. It's pretty good. Burgerton sounds like uh, like a transformer that turns into a Big Mac. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The album's called Miami Murder, and um, yeah, it's, 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 but it's just um, yeah, not what we'd expect. Well, I don't know. You always expect the unexpected from Mayhem members. Fair, fair. All right. Uh, let's move on. Do you want to take the next question, Jonathan, from Mark van der Velden? I would actually like to take the, the, the following question because I have opinions on that. Well, we all get opinions on them all. Yeah, but okay. Sure. Mark, okay, Mark van, van der Velden asks, what happens when super big bands die out, like physically die? What are we left with? Can rock music be seen as viable to the general public? Also, okay, also, why is power metal frowned upon in the metal world? Cool, that's a cat, isn't it? Yeah, just threw that one in. 
I feel like uh, I mean, I feel like we've dealt with what happens next quite a lot. Maybe Mark hasn't listened to previous podcasts, but you know, obviously, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. We do know it is a fact that metal is not producing bands on the level of Metallica, I Maiden, Slipknot, Event Sevenfold. You know, that we talked about Ghost being a big deal. Ghosts are a very big deal, but Ghosts are certainly not a big deal. Like Slipknot were a big deal in 2001. Like Sister of a Down were a big deal in 2001, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, we've got a problem there. There's absolutely no doubt about it. I suspect the scene will probably, ha- whether it's the festival scene or everything else, will probably have to evolve around that. And then hopefully it can grow again from there. But in terms of power metal... Yeah, power metal really is frowned upon, isn't it? I can't think of anyone at Metal Hammer, uh, certainly not on staff. And, I, you know, there's not a lot of diehard power metal fans. Uh, we, we, have, we have a lot of, we have quite a few writers who really like it. Chris Chandler. Yeah, sorry. In the, in the writers, yeah. I mean, yeah. through the years I've been at Hammer, I can't it, think many of us have been I there. think what people outside of metal think metal is, people inside of metal think what well, that's what power metal is. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean, it's like you know, we think like, if, like you know, you think it's like you know, oh, people who aren't into metal, and they just look at power, like people. You, you'll see this on the Guardian comments pages whenever that metal gets mentioned. People just think it's like you know, forty-year-olds living with their mums, and it's silly, and it's and it's ridiculous, and they have to do with the real world. And I think you know, a lot of metal, a lot of metal people think that's what power metal is. But you know, power metal is a kind of a mis- misnomer as well because. When power metal first came out, it was something different. Like power metal used to mean something completely different. It was speed metal, um, and there was this kind of like slowly, it kind of morphed into into this kind of uh, fluffy dragons and and you know swords and everything else aspects to it. But it, but power metal was originally speed. That's what you, 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 we used to call speed metal. Um, but then you know you had this weird thing like when Dragon Force came along. And suddenly, loads of young kids were in six, you know, mixed, you know, it had this, 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 it was kind of a bit more aware of its own absurdity and it, and it was a lot more playful with it. And, you know, it had all those kind of video game squelches in it. And there's suddenly like loads of young kids were into sort of power metal uh, because of Dragon Force. And then, you know, you had bands like Tourist who had that part, you know, an element of that in there, but it was much more knowing and, um, and it became, yeah, a bit more kind of fun and engaging rather than sort of just super serious and not being aware and not, and not having that kind of self-awareness that you tend to think a lot of power metal has. Mm. It's a weird one, isn't it? Because, I you know, we, we very proudly kind of rep for all metal here on, yeah. the, on the podcast. And during, when we started doing the album of the week, I think very early on, we did that band Brothers of Metal because Elle and I wanted to... Be like, look, we're not, we're gonna, we're gonna cover all types of metal here, but I, you know, oh, it's a weird one because I used to, I, I still, you know, I still like Sabaton. Um, I still sometimes listen to some of those mid noughties Dragon Force albums. I used to like power metal quite a lot. I used to listen to like Ed Guy and all those kind of bands. Um, but it's just, it's always been the, 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 the genre that gets probably quite a lot of unfair snidiness towards it from within metal, which is so weird because metal's supposed to be, if nothing else, we're supposed to be the outsiders. We're supposed to be like, we don't care about being cool, right? Like we're metalheads. We don't care about what's fashionable, but power metal, it's kind of like, yeah, but not that unfashionable. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it just kind of gets pushed yeah, out. At the beginning, yeah. Which yeah. is very strange. 
But I, I, I don't mind Pamela when it goes beyond absurdity and comes out the other end. Like, I actually, obviously, probably because I was seeing him in, in Rackham, but I kind of enjoyed a Power Quest set. Cause it's, sure. Because it's so, like, when it gets past that kind of point of silliness, you kind of get with the joke. It's why I like, like, I don't like all um, sort of folk metal, but I love um, Trollfest because it goes beyond ridiculousness and it becomes this kind of hyper real thing um, mm. of, of like absurdity. And it's just, yeah, when, when it kind of boils over into kind of absurdity, I can enjoy it on the absolute delirium of like, of absurdity level. Um, but that's the only times I read it. But, you know, I like some Blind Guardian records because I think it goes beyond absurdity into something else. And I quite like uh, some Iced Earth. But, mm. yeah, um, but I'm not I'm not a connoisseur on it. It just, I, I kind of think a lot of it's a bit silly. I mean, it is definitely silly, but as you said, proudly silly. Steve's been quiet so far. What's, he's looking like he's warming up a take. <laughs> it's just not heavy, is it? I mean, <laughs> like, I think that, I think if you're going to go on about, at this point, as we sit here in 2020, metal can be so many things, but for the most part, like the stuff that excites me about heavy music, is it being heavy? And if you're going to talk about how you slayed the dragon for metal and metal is this, you know, we are the, 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 the sort of the, defi the definition and definitive metal band because of the way we dress and because we talk about fucking dragons or whatever. Um, I sort of think, well, metal's kind of gone way, way, way beyond that. And it is genuinely heavy. And I think there's like, I get the sort of, some of the sort of ironic, like, I mean, if you're liking something ironically, uh, already I'm like, nah, don't like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you should, you should never like metal, like anything. Like, it's not the metal code to like anything ironically, to have to have distance from stuff. from stuff. Yeah, I, but, I, but I think there are people who are like, ha ha, I've got a plastic shield, ha 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 ha. And, you know, <laughs> like that, I, the the early the kind of like rainbow and Dio and where it comes up, obviously Judas Priest are ridiculous. Like there's you look at it and you go, what I love about this is it is the sort of the inherent ludicrous ludicrousness of hard rock or heavy metal pumped up to peacocking levels, you know. And but it's still got metal riffs. Yeah, and that, but that kind of and that kind of fuck you fronting that yeah. that old school original strand of power metal had i have absolutely yeah. no that's... issue with that whatsoever i think that's yeah. Cool. Yeah, but i think when my... you start, yeah when you start dressing up and doing like nintendo core and playing with battle axes but then sneering at a band like i don't know <laughs> pick any new metal band pretty much i mean even when not any new metal band, but even when like when new metal is like no 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 any new metal band, Steve, any new metal band. <laughs> but, like you can't laugh at Mudvayne when you're waving a plastic sword around and the big fucking Viking hat and listening to yeah I just well I just and, and claiming like oh I'm you know like I'm the proper I'm this is what metal's supposed to be and it's like well you look like as much like it was, yeah. you look as much of a dickhead as the bloke in the baggy trousers with the big like yeah. blue instrap beard, like fuck off. And I think that attitude, which is definitely something in power, you know, you see it on the bloodstock forum every year. Once they announce any band who aren't, you know, who, who might've been on Roadrunner records at any point. And you just think like, mate, the stuff you're talking about, it sounds like status quo with it. You know what I mean? I watch Sabotage. Like, this sounds like more like rock set than it does black metal. Like, 
You're not even heavy. You're not even heavy. Like, fuck, this is fucking... You're like, I'm all for having fun. I, you know, I love pop music. But don't tell me that this, like, silly pop thing that you're doing is is proper music and that I'm a fucking poser or a faker. Yeah. I mean, I mean... Come on. Yeah, I mean, bear in mind that Bloodstock was originally a power metal festival when it was indoors. But, right, right. but my, my issue with power metal, like bad power metal, it's the same issue I kind of have with bad new metal. And it's not whether it's heavy or not. It's just this kind of self-serving over-sincerity that I find really grating. Um, but, uh, but, it's, but I find that but it's, that's not unique to power metal, but it's just there's a lot of it in power metal. Yeah. But at least bad new metal gave us like infinite one hit wonders i mean bad power metal never gave us like a bodies you know well, what i mean or, well, uh, the thing is you don't know because it, ne it never took on in england in the same way they took over in took on in say germany or italy um so you know all these bands were huge and you know italy's huge for power metal germany's huge for power metal um and um you know we're, we're talking from a very english perspective and you know, in my previous magazine, you know, Nuclear Bass would always like go to me. Why are you not cover these bands? You know, it's just, well, they're not. Um, yeah, when uh, when the count from Sesame Street was MD of Nuclear Bass. Yeah, 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 yeah. But this is back. You know, this is kind of like in the early two thousands. Just like because in England we don't do Pat Mel in the same way that they do in Germany. You know, it's just not. It hasn't. It doesn't. Hasn't taken root in the way that uh, it has. Germany, much more. Uh, until Dragon Force came along, which really was a, a phenomenon. Yeah, Germany was like had this kind of force of gravity where like the eighties can't escape. It was like a black hole. <laughs> That's fine. You know what I mean? That shit's fine. I think if you if you put power metal on and you go, do you know what? All this is is really super catchy, high camp, you know, like fucking Dio taken to the absolute nth degree. And it's just like a fun, cool thing. That is fine. But like you say, Jonathan, that kind of self-serving, I am a warrior of heavy metal, and you with your Lamb of God albums are a piece of shit. Like, I, that that really puts me off power metal massively. Yeah. Um, it, it really does. And, it, and I, I think that is, you know, there are some power metal bands who I listen to and I think are, are good. But again, it's really like, you know, I, I, again, I think you go back, like you said, you go back to the source of it, you go back to the root of it, that kind of speed metal thing or how it was evolving um, in the early 80s. And a lot of those bands are good and they sound hard and, they, you know, like you... Yeah, you don't think, oh, this is a joke, you know, like, or like they've got their tongue in their... You know, someone like Sabaton, I'm like, are you serious or are you not serious? Are you, are you serious and your fans are laughing at you when you're trying to be... Or, or are you laughing at your fans? I just, I don't know. It just feels like somebody's got their tongue rammed so fucking hard in their cheek at this point, and I don't but, know who it is that I'm out. Yeah, but I, but I love like I love read, like I love reading Chris when he write Chris Chanter when he writes about Pamel because like seeing the love and the the um the non-judgmental love he has for some of these bands, you know, he, he knows what's good and what's bad. But I find that really contagious. You know, it's, I can't always share it in the same way that. I I can't do really do Manowar, but I really appreciate people who do like Dom who loves Manowar, and um, but I it's, it's not it's not me. Um, it should be as well, and I think that's what the the dynamic kind of Steve was talking about with new metal. It's probably why there's been even more of a backlash against it for metalheads of a certain generation because you know I, I grew up a new metal kid. My first 
proper metal album was Chocolate Starfish and and that era. When you know, obviously, I look back at you know, of course, Fred Durst is ripe for piss taking, and he deserved a lot of it because he embraced that and he played up to his silliness. But you know once you kind of get to that thing where you are being told, oh, no, 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 you're not into metal. No, 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 you're not part of this club because you like that. And then you're kind of, you're listening to like Here to Stay by Korn and then you look over at like... <laughs> hey, nonny, nonny. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Hey, nonny, nonny. You look over at a bit of Ed Guy or something and you're just like, well, yeah, okay. Like, I guess so. Um but I mean, we should all be able to just celebrate all of it and like all of it, really. But that's another thing about metal. We all fucking love ripping the shit out of each other. So th- there we go. The tribes remain uh, at war, apparently. Until you actually get out into the real world and go to a festival and you see that everyone's actually friends and it's fine. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, it's I mean, you know, it's fun get, seeing some of these bands at Wacken, particularly. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, and then Wacken's a great example of that. At Wacken, you will see. Um, or at Bloodstock, you will see a band like Ailstorm have a big uh, kind of the party hour and everyone loves that. But then you will now also see Parkway Drive turn up and everyone's into that as well. Like, there, it is possible. A better world is possible. I, I think that's why, you know, I do go like, yeah, the world's fucking moved on. Like you say, I am aware of the history of Bloodstock and what it used to be, but they've been fucking Rob Zombie and Trivium and Lamb of God for fucking years now. So, I mean, when they did have um, Aventasia subbing Lamb of Gods a few years ago, I think about nine people watched Aventasia. It was like, and <laughs> fuck, do you remember that? And you just think, well, you can't, you, you've got to allow these people in as well, as much as anything, surely. Yeah. But um, conversely, uh, Evil Scarecrow got more people than Emperor did. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. Although I actually enjoyed it. But I, actually, I actually enjoyed it, quite enjoyed Evil Scarecrow at Wacken. So did about 30,000 other people inexplicably. So there we go. I can't help but respect, uh, yeah. respect the game. Yeah. And, and what, yeah. And Emperor got hardly any, had, didn't have a particularly big crowd at Wacken either, which, which I, I was a bit offended by. It's say. almost like a lot of people that kind of bang on about that kind of stuff are actually being posers or something, isn't it? Not to understate. Yeah, I think it depends. One of the most important metal bands of all time. Yeah, crowd you've got. You know um, what I'm getting at. Uh, right, one more question then. Jan Ryland asks, Hi, all hope you're doing well. We hope you're doing well too. I've noticed that Black Veil Bride seems to get a bit of stick, both on this podcast, I can't remember the last time we talked about them on this podcast, and in the metal community more broadly. As a fan, I struggle to get my head around this, as in my opinion, they write catchy songs, are technically proficient, and genuinely passionate about quote-unquote metal. Is it to do with being derivative? And then uh, Jan points out that, by the way, my name is pronounced Jan, as I've heard it mispronounced a couple of times on the podcast before. Sorry, Jan, we will not do that again. Our bad. Uh, Black Veil Brides. I, I sense we're probably all on the same side with this band. Is that fair? To yeah, say? I'm going to be. I'm going to be fairly late about this. I think there's one adjective for them which is risable. <laughs> okay. They're just a risable entity. I'm going to be as objective as I may ever have been about anything ever about Black Veil Brides. And I'm going to say, I think, personally, and objectively speaking, their music is rubbish, right? <laughs> they are, they are rub- I, I, you know, I think, objectively, they are rubbish, right? They're not, a, they're not a good band. They're not anything I want to listen to at all. But I really like Andy Beersack, Andy Black. I think Andy Beersack is actually 
a very, very good um, figurehead for that group of people um, from that scene. I think he is clearly, he's, he's from a punk rock background. I've interviewed him before. He was talking to me about Misfits and Millions of Dead Cops and Nation of the Ulysses and like proper fucking underground hardcore punk, right? So he really, really likes that shit. But he wants to be a rock star and fucking fair play to him. He looks good. He's incredible. He's got cheekbones like above his ears. The guy is incredibly good looking. Of course, he's going to, in a, in, a, in a poppy rock stroke glam metal thing and whatever Black Veil Brides are, um, he has, uh, he's got loads of charisma and he is, um, you know, they're, they're not good. I don't like their music at all, but it's going to gravitate to something or someone and that happens to be Andy Black and he goes on to say you should check out the Misfits and they go on to maybe listen to something good then I've got no real big beef with no rides, like, I mean, to be they, are, they are definitely a derivative band and I don't think they even pretended otherwise you know Andy essentially um, kind of had a vision for this band that they could be this kind of modern day motley crew, but kind of super polished for kind of pre-teen metal fans, basically, which is fine. And I think that worked. And I think they had a moment where, I mean, I wish that you could go to we, most metal bands do have a significant young following as well. But anytime I go see a band from this generation or the last, let's say the last 10 years or so, and you go and look at their crowd and it's a really young, super passionate crowd. I always think that's fucking great. And that's what you want. And they, they tapped into, however they did it, they tapped into that more than 99% of, heavy rock bands that have tried to kind of make a name for themselves have managed in the last 20 years and was a lot of it cynical absolutely there's no doubt about it again i don't even know if andy would deny that anymore do you know what i mean like it was all so carefully orchestrated and put together but it, it's just i just as soon as that band turned up i was just like this isn't for me it's not aimed at me it's not for me and, um you know, it's such an anodyne take and i've got nothing against bands being derivative but you just got to give you have to kind of give something back some awareness of the lineage because you know because if you're not aware of that lineage you're not going to channel any of it even if you make it for for a younger audience so my i can only really kind of talk from experience with black veil brides and one of my most miserable festival experiences was i was covering download i think for classic rock our sister magazine and um so it was one of those really rainy uh uh, down downloads. I remember like watching on the main stage in oh. the rain, uh, disturbed, and just like basically taking tool, wringing out all the emotion and the art, and just giving you the rag of what's left. And I'm just like, oh god. And then I had that to trudge up the hill in the mud to the second stage, see my see see um uh see um Blackfell Bryce. I'm just like, oh my god, this band, they're leeching everything that makes me feel alive about rock and roll music. And I was just just 
drawing all the genuine power out of it and just giving you this shiny sort of, you know, surface of what's left. And it's just like, oh, God. And it's, and it's just like the one thing that saved me that day was just like, uh, let, you know, later on that stage, the cult played. And it's like, this is, a, this, is a, this is a rock and roll riff. It's not rocket science. Go straight to the fucking source. Just play a riff and it resonates. And the two things that really saved me, and unfortunately they're playing at the same time, I had to, by way of conscious, I had to keep going backwards and forwards because I couldn't miss those bands. Well, like them, and in the third stage, Heat, you know, those young Swedish guys playing super cheesy AOR. But the reason I love Heat is because it's so uncynical. And the love for what they do just comes out so much. And so both those things were such a complete antidote to um, the, to this kind of risable taking credit for something that you have no investment in that was Black Veil Brides. Yeah, but Jonathan, I have to say, that's not a new thing for sort of this generation. I don't think that's a new... I think, I mean, I would say everything you've just said about Black Veil Brides, I would say about Motley Crue. I think they are atrocious an atrocious band with absolutely no no redeeming qualities whatsoever i yeah, would say lincoln park i think lincoln park have no redeeming qualities whatsoever but i think both of those bands although they are absolutely cynical horror merlin's gonna shake his neck his head clean off his neck i mean i know for a fact that lincoln park on you know they were cynically marketed and of course everyone around them knew something was big, but I know for a fact that band were not put together by those members in the same way that Black Veil Brides were. Okay, yeah, but that's that's neither here nor there, I don't think. I think the point the point is, those both Motley Crue... And also, to be fair, just to make another point, Hybrid Theory is one of the most influential albums. Worst one of the most influential albums in the last 20 years, and Black Veil Brides will never lay claim to something like that. Well, I, I mean, my point being, if if... Both Motley Crue, I think people who grew up listening to Motley Crue and people who grew up listening to Linkin Park, both of them probably heard that as the first thing, got really, really inspired, and then they went and they found and the amount of like good bands who say they're inspired by Linkin Park, the amount of good bands who said, oh, you know, I really love Motley Crue, they are there. So, I mean, I, I, you can say whatever you want about both those bands. I think they're both appalling, and I, I don't think Black Veil Brides are either any better or worse than either of them. But, you know... Um, but there's a place where that shit like that happens and it is influential and it can transcend onto something else all the time. I mean, the one thing I'll say about Motley Crue, whether you like them or not, is that they totally embodied a place and a time. Um, in a way, you know, that there was very much a product and of that kind of era and that particular, you know, part of the world. And, you know, but uh, Black Veil Brides were so they're so marketed and, and you know, they're so disconnected from any of that kind of bloodstream. That you know that um, that you know you're never going to remember uh, Black Veil Bride songs in the way that you remember like a Motley Crue song. You know, Mot Mot you know Motley Crue were what they were, but um, just I just thought that Black Veil Brides were kind of a, a facade. Yeah, but I, mean, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. I mean, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. I think the way Black Veil Brides have come through in a completely different world to the world that Motley Crue came through in. Um, and this, you know, and and so, uh, I'm not. But they're leeching off of that of of what what Motley Crue came from, but not really, but not really um channeling any of that. It was kind of sexless as well. 
<laughs> yeah, but that might be a good thing. I mean, I think they're aiming for, you know, in, in, the, in the 2010s to have a sort of sexless version of Motley Crue for young kids. I mean, it's not what I want to listen to, but is it better? I mean, yeah, I, I'm Certainly. picking up for them like as a, as a sort of musical entity. But all I'm saying is big bands with not a lot going for them get big a lot of the time. It's sure. in every genre and it doesn't sort of, I don't think it signals the death knell for, um, for anything really. I think it no. can be, I think it can just be these young people have found a thing that they really like that they might through nostalgia, listen to, you know, for the rest of their lives. I've got like, Britpop bands that I fucking love because I bought the album when I was 14. who were just like shit versions of blur. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I mean, I've got the Republica album, and I'm like, oh, the Republica album. Like, no one needs that. Well, okay, well, well, here, can, can I just say something about, about Britpop? Like, because Britpop did actually kill off everything that was interesting in the 80s. Like, like literally, I was on Melody Maker. We were getting way sidetracked here, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> we, were, we were covering Sonic Youth and lots of really avant-garde stuff. So I'm just saying, one of, the point I'm trying to make is that really shit stuff can, when it gets really popular, can kill off a momentum of what of something much more interesting that was going on before it. So these things, I'm not saying backdrop rise. They're just shit in their own unique way in their own little bubble. I, I don't, I don't think they're like a harbinger of doom or anything. But, um, but really shit, overly marketed stuff really can kill off something really genuinely interesting and organic that preceded it. Yeah, um, so don't be complacent about this. And but, Britpop did that to indie music. Yeah, so, so made, it, made it super white, super less of difference, and su super kind of very cis male kind of thing. Whereas there's so much more interesting stuff going on in the indie world back then, and Britpop killed it off dead. I hate Britpop. Um, we're not going to have a Britpop argument because I was going to say there's a whole thing that goes anyway. Don't well, yeah. We'll no, we're Jonathan another time. I tell yeah. you what you should do. I tell you what you should do. You should get Jonathan on. The right act podcast and you can talk about Britpop and shit there because you do all that stuff so <laughs> yeah, let's do that yeah he'd be very well placed to say no i think yeah, you know, the rocky theme tune in my head i think that uh i think that uh the other thing about black veil brides for me is that uh, they're just not as obviously there is a generation of rock fans that will look back on them like I, my generation looks back on lincoln park like the 80s generation looks back on motley crew but i don't think because because they were so out of time, I don't think they embodied any kind of generation. Like Lincoln Park were part of a scene which completely changed music forever. And Motley Crue were part of a scene that kind of cast a shadow over, you know, American rock music for decades. Whereas it's not like, I mean, you know, you could put Oscar and Alexandra into that bracket a little bit, but it's not like there was suddenly this whole new generation of glam rock bands that completely... You know, it's the same as how like My Chemical Romance, someone might go, oh yeah, they're basically the same thing, but they're not really because they were so fucking big and like they were generational defining. Just don't think Black Bell Brides were that. But again, they weren't for us. And, you know, I don't want to be patronizing. There's plenty of adult people that like Black Bell Brides as well. But if I had a young son or daughter and they were into Black Bell Brides, I'd be like, awesome. Like we got somewhere to work with here. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think so. Go with yeah. They are shit, though. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I don't know. Know. so whatever. But you, uh, put, you put young kids' eighties stuff, and they get it immediately. Yeah, Just, you can take them straight to the source. Go straight to the source. 
Skip everything else. Listen, we've been blabbing on for ages. It's been a long podcast this week, but I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for coming on. Uh, right. We will be back next week. Um, let's plan another Hall of Fame. We haven't done one for a while, so we'll get one uh, planned out for that. In the meantime, brand new issue of Metal Hammer is out right now. Go pick it up. Uh, be safe. And I'm going to talk some more while I work out how to stop recording because we're doing it on a different thing. There it is. See you next week, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye.